This is Pam Dinner, author of Effective Sales Enablement, Achieve Sales Growth Through Collaborative Sales and Marketing. By the way, you are listening to the Marketing Books Podcast. Welcome. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast or just click on the link at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now on with the show. Today, we welcome Pam Didner to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her new book, Effective Sales Enablement, Achieve Sales Growth Through Collaborative Sales and Marketing, published by Kogan Page. Pam Didner is a content marketing leader, author, and speaker. Having held various positions at Intel, she led many of Intel's enterprise product launches and worldwide marketing campaigns. Her first book, Global Content Marketing, was named one of the top 10 marketing books of 2014 by Inc. And her day job is leading a boutique consulting firm that trains, coaches, and provides strategic guidance on audience development, messaging, architecture, editorial planning, content creation, and sales and marketing collaboration on a global scale. And interesting facts. She was born and raised in Taiwan, the Republic of China, and despite now having written two marketing books, she studied and began her career in finance and accounting. Pam, congratulations on effective sales enablement, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. My pleasure. I'm so happy to be on your podcast, Douglas. It's wonderful. It's the first time I'm actually on your podcast, so I'm very excited. Well, I'm thrilled to have you, and I I started the podcast after you wrote your first book, so probably why I wasn't able to pitch you on that, but I've long been an admirer of yours. And then one day, I got a LinkedIn connection from you, and I was very excited. (laughs) You have no idea how much excitement you give people when you connect with them on LinkedIn. And then I got to meet you at Content Marketing World 2017, and you told me about this book that you were working on and about your book deal and everything. And I didn't get to see you at the 2018 one because you were just... I saw your book all over the place, but I didn't get a chance to see you. But are you pretty much a regular at Content Marketing World? Yes. um, I was there since the inception of the event. They started in 2011 with Joe Polizzi, Mm -hmm. and they were gracious enough, if you will, uh, actually invite me to do a session. And uh, I was invited back. 
every single year. And then about four or five years ago, and I started doing workshop for them. Oh. So I usually have a workshop and uh, a day before content marketing world and also a session. And I presented different topics and I try to challenge myself and not to talk about the same topics. And so every single year, I try to do something a little bit different. Okay. I think there's a small number of you who have been there every year. And I saw this year, I saw Adele Ravella speak. She's the author of Buyer Personas. Yeah. And I uh, love her. Oh, me too. And I'm such a fan. And I love, love, love that book. Yeah. And she mentioned that she had been there every single Single time. year. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, Saddest part is I probably only talked to her once because she's super popular uh-huh. and and she has she specializes in buyer persona. So anybody is looking for like ideal customer profile um, and also customer segmentation, she's fantastic. Oh, Great yeah. content. Yeah. yeah. So your publisher Kogan Page that I mentioned is British and. Yeah. I find it amusing that even with American authors like yourself and Rebecca Lieb, they use British spellings in their books. You know, um, I actually have very in-depth conversation with Kogan Page about this, and uh, we went back and forth, like program, you know, or visualize. They uh-huh. use uh, obviously slightly different uh, spelling. And because they are British publisher, they want to stay true to the British English, if you will, to some extent, especially the spelling. Mm. And obviously, Rebecca and I both are uh, American authors, and we kind of want to write or have a book that's more tailored for our American audience or readers. There's always a conversation, at least for me, cannot speak for Rebecca, in terms of, you know what, I think this one should be written in American English. But to manage two versions of it is way too difficult. Well, then they can do a version in American English then. Yeah, there <laughs> like you go. Said, to manage a two different version of the book is kind of hard. So uh, they decided uh, just to keep it British English. Right, well, I, we I, got I, our I, eye on you, Kogan yeah. Page, you know, calling you <laughs> out here. But, you know, it brings to mind the quote, often attributed to the Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw, who said that England and America are two countries divided by a common language. I 100% agree. I actually used that quote on my, uh, in my first book. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Pam, I, do, I get to do a lot of preparation for each of these interviews, which includes reading, reading each book and then preparing some, some uh, interview questions. But I just want you to know, Pam Didner, yes. I have done more preparation for this interview than any other interview. And here's what I mean by that. I am very scared. I'm very scared why you're going to ask. You have nothing to be afraid of. (laughs) Of course, I read the book. But in preparation for this interview, I also took and passed with a 92, which I guess is still an A, the HubSpot Sales Enablement Certification. And that took me. That is impressive. That was like maybe eight or nine hours of watching all the videos and reviewing it and taking the test. But I so wanted to learn more about sales enablement. And this is the first book about sales enablement after 200 episodes. And it's something that's of great interest to me because maybe careful listeners of the Marketing Book Podcast will know that the intersection of sales and marketing is one of my uh, favorite favorite topic. So there's nothing to be afraid of. It just means that I think I'm informed, but I really think I just, I'm I'm still sort of starting my my education about sales enablement. So I wanted to read something from the acknowledgements section at the beginning of the book. Please. You say, I am a firm believer that marketing's job is to enable sales. 
But I am also very aware of the tension that can exist between sales and marketing managers. Sales enablement is hard because every company has its own processes and tools for working together or lack of processes and tools. I hope this book provides helpful insights for sales and marketing managers alike to smooth their path and create a more productive collaboration. Pam, there are, I'm sure, some listeners to this episode who may not have even heard of the term sales enablement, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's why they listen to the podcast, and that is perfectly fine. Sales enablement is not about marketing, getting coffee, and picking up dry cleaning for sales. Please explain (laughs) what the heck sales enablement is. I'll do that. Douglas, actually, you know, the term of sales enablement, it's very recent. And uh, I did some research when I was writing the book and I want to find out the origin of the the sales enablement. Um, This book was actually originally used by uh, multiple different technology companies such as uh, Nortel or IBM. And I think it started pretty much in 2004, around that time. And I actually use a Google search and find out when that term was started using. Can you believe it? We kind of tracked the origin of the a term now using Google. Now, long story short, and that trend that it's really tied has a very close tie uh, with the technology sales. And for folks listening, and uh, if you're actually on the technology segments or even in manufacturing segments, that the selling a piece of device or a, 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 a piece of technology, especially something that your customers have not heard of or used before, it does take a little bit of effort um, to train the sales, right? Uh, to know the products or technology, and then the sales can actually talk about it to further sell your products. So initially, the sales enablement or in a very conventional world, and it tend to focus on sales training and the sales development. That has a lot to do with uh, technology sales, complex sales that um Salespeople cannot do it alone. They need to be educated first mm-hmm. before they can actually talk about it and communicate that with their end customer, with the customers. So, if you talk to anybody, especially in the sales world, in terms of sales enablement, the conventional definition tend to relate it to sales trainings and sales development. Okay, Which is still part of sales enablement. I one hundred percent agree, and I wrote this book as a marketer. That means I am never a salesperson, but Douglas, you were right. I was a CPA a long time ago. (laughs) Then I went to the dark side and then become a marketer. I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, no, that happened. (laughs) No, 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 not at all. So I was thinking, you know what? Marketers are doing a lot of stuff, you know, qualified MQL and all that stuff is actually part of enabling sales. And with the rise of digital, there are so many marketing elements that can be part of uh, a sale, uh, can be part of a sales uh, tools that the salespeople can leverage. I can talk a little bit more about that. But for the for your question, the way I defined um, sales enablement is really from a marketer's perspective that what we can do to enable or supporting sales better, right? So it's really try to deliver a, a better customer experience by equipping sales with certain kind of knowledge. And when I say knowledge, that's marketing knowledge, skills possibly social media process, the collaboration between sales and marketing, and tools through cross-functional collaboration, which is to the core and your your passionate topics, how sales and marketing should work together. 
So hopefully by doing that, you can increase the sales velocity, sales attention, I mean, sales retention and the productivity. Is that helpful? Yes. So you talk about how sales enablement has been correlated with the advancement and complexity of technology. And in another interview I did, Rise of the Revenue Marketer with Debbie Gagish, she talks about Mm -hmm. how much of this sales and marketing alignment has been facilitated by technology, such as uh, marketing automation technology and, and, and CRMs. But let's talk a little bit about how and why the traditional boundaries between sales and marketing have become more blurred. I think one of the most uh, um, obvious examples that uh, it's in front of us, under our nose, but um, but we take for granted. Email marketing, for example, has long time been something that marketers uh, do, right? And uh, they send out, uh, they do uh, very big email campaigns. They send out to their list or their subscribers. But now the email um, has been integrated into the CIM. Right. So the sales manager can also do a personalized or a mini campaign to send out an email to their targets, accounts or prospects. So a tool that's um, started, if you will, is actually on the marketer size or marketing size now is used extensively actually on the sales side. So that's one. Right. And the social media, same thing. Right. For the longest time, it's really that, oh, a tool that marketers will use to do an outreach. But now the sales team are using that tool to actually understand their prospects and also their targets so much better. So when I'm talking about the sales and marketing's boundary become blurry, is first of all, it's the technology somehow forced or integrate some of the functions that marketers and also salespeople are doing. And uh, they integrate it to the point that, hey, you know what it is kind of, we are overlapping a little bit. We don't know what that is because technology continues to change and impact in terms of how we do our job. So that kind of overlapping will continue to merge. Mm-hmm. It's not going to stop. Right. And you, not- heard, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> All right. The force, may the force be with us. That force is incredibly strong, I'm telling yes, you. Yes. Let me back up a little bit more, though, for folks so- that may not be familiar with sales enablement. If somebody says, well, okay, what, what kind of stuff would sales enablement do? Let's say it's a company that maybe hasn't had much of a marketing presence, but they've been very sales-driven. they got a sales department. Maybe they're struggling, and they hear about sales enablement. What kind of things would they expect to be doing or to get if they start to look into doing more sales enablement? Okay. I want to talk about that from two different perspectives, Douglas. I want to talk about that from sales side, and I want to talk about that from market, marketing side. So in general, within the sales organization, right, and um, uh, the key sales enablement ingredients tend to be training, content, and the coaching. And I want to talk a little bit about that in like two minutes. Okay. So I said it earlier that in general, the conventional term of sales enablement tend to be related to sales trainings and sales onboarding, Right especially true on the complex and the technology sales, the training part of it to get the salespeople up to speed is so critical, Mm -hmm. so critical. If they are not properly trained and educated, there's no way they can talk about your product in a 
you know, properly. So the onboarding and training is a huge part of it. Salesforce actually have like five days onboarding training. And before that, they actually require their new hires, anybody, that to actually take a bunch of courses first and pass that test before they even get on the five-day onboarding training. That's how important training is. So that's one part of it. So if you are doing, if you're on sales side and your technology or your the product you are selling is complex, training onboarding, critical, super critical. Then the other one is content, right? So now they are trained, properly trained. Now they are going to go talk to the customers about, you know, the company's products and services. All right, great. So they have, they, they probably know how to talk because it's sales pitch and that's part of a sales training and sales uh, onboarding. At the same time, that throughout the conversation, right, you talk to your customers or prospect multiple times, you need some sort of content. The content can be the script that you want to say, or content can be the presentation that you are presenting at the customer meeting, or it can be something that you have to pass through to your customer after the meeting is over or whatnot, or even can be a mini email campaign. So the content, you need to actually have a list of content that align with your sales stage. Mm -hmm. And the other one is coaching, right? So obviously, even the best tennis player, you know, Roger or Nadal, right? And they are the best of the best. They still have coach. They still work with coaches, right? So mm -hmm. the other one is coaching. The senior VP that has been in a trench in the past, they know what kind of, they have seen all sorts of rejections and they need to share that kind of learning and with whoever, uh, with the, the new talent. So the coaching part of it. So on the sales enablement, I would say on the sales side, these are the three main ingredients. Mm -hmm. So what about on the marketer side, the market, what marketers can do or on the marketing uh, end? Well, I mentioned about content, right? Earlier on the sales side, same thing. So what kind of marketing content can be leveraged or used on the sales side? Uh, of course, not every single piece of content you generate for them for the outbound communication can be part of the sales, but there got to be something can be repurposed and reused or can be, you know, uh, uh, customized a little bit and then can be passed on as a pass through content. Right. Mm -hmm. So content is one piece of it. Another one. And I it's actually you need to look at the marketing channels and your marketing campaigns in a very holistic way. There are certain things uh, the, that you are, do, uh, you are doing on the marketing side can also be leveraged on the sales side. For example, the, the great example I use in my book is a whiskey company. They, are looking, uh, they were looking to increase a shelf space in liquor stores and also supermarkets of a specific city. So to close that deal, the salespeople basically make a proposal to uh, the store managers. Hey, look, tell you what, I would like you to increase the shelf space for my whiskey. What if, what if I run geo-targeted social media pay ads for a free tasting events, you know, for this specific amount of dates? If I do that, Will you be okay? Will you be willing to increase the shelf space? It's using <laughs> Who would say the no? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Thank you, Douglas. Thank you. I mean, it's like free advertising. You are paying for that. Great. I'll yes. take it. And I should say, Pam, also as part of preparation for this interview, I went to several liquor stores looking for that particular brand of liquor. But, but go ahead. <laughs> 
buy some. I, we want some conversions. Okay? The research is very important <laughs> for this podcast. But I, I see what you're saying there. That's an example. Um, that's an example using marketing dollars and marketing uh, social media, right? Marketing elements. Yeah, leveraging the marketing Close programs yes. and as, as a talking point or perhaps even a bargaining chip during a Why? sales negotiation. And I wouldn't think many sales teams uh, would do that, wouldn't be yes. set up to do that. They don't. Right? So that's the core of this book. That's the point I want to get across. And that's actually on chapter six, everyone. <laughs> All marketing leads to sales. So what are some of the what are some of the marketing elements you can think about and try to integrate that as a part of the sales engagement and also sales negotiation? I think that's a key point. Key point I want to get across. Right. There was one thing I wanted to read from page 59, which I, I had to laugh, and I think a lot of the marketers might find this amusing, but you speak truth to power, Pam Didner. You said right. if the sales team had their way. They would prefer marketing spend all their budget and resources only on the bottom of the purchase funnel. However, marketing's job is to cover the whole purchase funnel from brand awareness down to post-sales. It's hard to acquire new customers if marketers are not building awareness of products and services. So what advice do you have for marketers that are in that situation where the salespeople are screaming, I just want warm, fully qualified leads, so all I have to do is take their credit card, and they don't understand the other parts. What are some of the ways that marketers have been able to lead the sales folks to help them better understand that there's a little more involved than just handing them warm leads? There's something that goes into that. Yeah. So, you know, what you said and what you um, just read is really what uh, created friction between the sales and marketing. Wait, right? they don't, what the they don't statement, get along? The statement that you read actually have a couple components to it. Yes, I'm joking because <laughs> uh, sales and marketing don't traditionally get along very well. I know that's a shock to some of the folks out there. But on the other hand, in your book, you say, look, there's always going to be some friction. Stop thinking it's going to be unicorns and rainbows at the end of the day. No, it's not. Yeah. They, you know, the sales and marketing actually always have a different goals, right? Just like you said, one focus on the bottom of funnel, the other one focus on the top of the funnel or the whole funnel. And then the other, another thing is long-term versus short-term. Marketers, they have to look at long-term because nurturing takes time, right? And mm -hmm. that's not something that can be done in like a month or like a quarter. But guess what? The salespeople have a monthly quota and a quarterly quota they have to meet. And I totally get that. And I, I think at the end of the day, the, the, the salespeople just needs to acknowledge. It's kind of like husband and wife, you know, like I love my husband dearly, but there are certain, how should I say it nicely, the pitfall or the flawed. Sometimes you just have to overlook it, overlook at it. And the, between sales and marketing, and both sides just have to acknowledge, it's just like you said, there are differences. There's not much you can do about it. But can you find some sort of commonality uh, within the differences, right? Mm -hmm. And to focus on that commonality and to maximize that as much as you can between the two teams. Right. I think that's another thing that, uh, that is worth exploring uh, if you are working on the enterprise um, uh, sales and marketing that, that tend to be uh, much bigger issues. And a smaller company, if you will, Douglas, I, I would say the sales and marketing tend to work a whole lot better, you mm -hmm. know, in a smaller company. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. But you mentioned working together and you even mentioned commonalities and, and you mentioned marriage there. And there's a <laughs> there's something that a, maybe a lot of, some companies aren't familiar with and it's an SLA and I'm not talking about the Symbionese Liberation Army that uh, kidnapped... <laughs> 
<laughs> Patty Hearst back in the 70s. It's a service level agreement. And I would like to ask you to explain what that is. And I like to think of it as like a marriage contract between sales and marketing. In a way, yes. You kind of summarize uh in a very nice way. It is an agreement, right? And service level, SLA is a service level agreement. And um, there, there's a multiple way to write that agreement depending on your relationship and also your initiatives um, that you are working on with your sales team. And um, I'm not saying that you have to write down everything like, oh, you know, we have to generate 100 leads per month or how you should generate that. It's more or less at a very high level and uh, that both sides have the same expectations. Like what, right? what, is, a, what is a qualified lead or uh, what is something yes. we can measure in pipeline? Exactly. So um, you brought a very good point, right? The definition of lead is so important. There's a lot of friction that comes from, you know, what is the definition of the lead? So what is the definition of the MQL? What's the definition of SQL? And how do we maintain the quality of the MQL to the point that salespeople like feel that, oh, okay, you know what? It's, it's, it's a good lead. It's good enough. Yeah. And uh, Pam, let's take a break one second and explain what an MQL and an SQL are. A marketing qualified lead and a sales qualified lead. And um, I am going to use example instead of give you a definition. And uh, let me give you an example, okay, right? Thanks. And um, um, for example, I'm using lead genius um, as an example in my book, and you probably can see it also in the Salesforce. For example, every one of you or you and me, Douglas, and uh, that when we go to the website and we will see request for demo okay mm -hmm. that request for demo it's very action oriented by the potential prospect if somebody click on that and it was oh request for demo okay great you know this person may have done some research and ex now express some sort of interest that they want to find out more about your product they've raised their right? hand they raised their hands 100 percent agree Right. So to me, that give the sales team or marketing team a clue that, you know what, this possibly, possibly can be qualified as MQL because, you know, that's one way of defining it. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have a clear, actionable definition about MQL and you basically say, oh, whoever come to my website, click on a couple pieces of content or just check on a couple of things, I'll call that MQL and I will pass that to the sales team. Well, you know what? Is, you don't have a strong stand to stand on in terms of, okay, is this is a good lead or not so good? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, so it's, it's Jack Lemon and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross who said the leads are weak. It could be a student <laughs> that has no budget exactly. at all to buy your product. Thank you. Right. So the SQL, the next stage of that is, okay, fine. Pam didn't express interest and request for demo, right? And then the sales team probably look into it and they look into, oh, you know what? Pam's not even enterprise. Our product is actually enterprise product. Oh, I don't know. So they do a little bit more digging and then find and qualify in this person a little bit more and see if this is really a, 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 a prospect for sales truly follow up. That's the next level. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's additional qualification uh, in terms of um, try to uh, map that into, say, ideal customer profile, 
right? So obviously sales team, they have ICP in terms of what are the potential prospects, ideal prospects for them. Right. Now, and even that at, conversation that you just described, yes. could, as short as it was, could be enormously helpful for the sales and the marketing people or departments just to discuss. In yes. other words, I can imagine salespeople saying, stop sending us fill in the blank. We don't, we can't help those people. For instance, yesterday I was on a call, Google called me because they wanted to talk about their cloud product. And yeah. as soon as we got on the phone, they realized, oh, this is a smaller company. We can't help them, whatever. So I was, I must have been a marketing qualified lead. But once I interacted with their sales team, they said, oh, I'm sorry. This is, you know, it's not a fit. This, um, yeah. Exactly. You hit the core. Douglas, you answered the question. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, my pleasure. Now, let me ask you to talk about something else. At the beginning of Chapter 2, you quote sure. none other than Jill Rowley, Chief Growth Officer at Marketo, who has been known to be a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast. And she states that the modern sales professional is actually not a seller, but is someone who helps people buy. Explain what she means. I love Jill. Oh my God, I love that quote so much. And um, this is also um, kind of share the essence in terms of modern uh, salespeople's mm -hmm. uh, role. It has changed dramatically, right? Again, especially on the B2B side of things, if you are just go there and tell them about your products, features, it's not going to sell. You talk about product advantages, it's not going to sell. Right. You need to position in a way or package your product or talk in a way that is actually solve their problems. Right. So you are not necessarily a seller anymore. You are actually facilitating. If you are a facilitator, right, you basically know their issues, their challenges. You present the solutions to them in terms of how that will solve their problems. And um, that. If you actually get a lot of call, uh, say from a lot of technology companies, Google, for example, Salesforce, I, you know, you talked to Google yesterday. Guess what? Guess who called me yesterday? Salesforce. And, um, they are, they say, Hey, are you interested in buying the Salesforce, uh, essentials? For longest time, all of us know that the Salesforce is actually an enterprise platform and but much cheaper version of it compared with some of the key, uh, big companies. But, uh, they actually want to target for SMB. And uh, they actually have uh, Salesforce uh, essentials, they call them, and it's actually targeted for SMB. Again, when they are talking to me, yes, they are sellers, right? It's the sales, it's inside salespeople calling me. But what they really trying to talk to me is, hey, Pam, what, what are your challenges? What are your pain points? How do you use the CIM, right? It's when the question they ask me is not starting from, from like, oh, you know what? Salesforce can do this for you. No, they didn't start from that. Right. They started from, you know what, can you tell me a little bit about your challenges, what I can do, and then see what I can do to facilitate, you know, the buying process of a CIM. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what the modern salespeople need to do moving forward is talking less about products or you can talk about that, but that comes much later of the stage. Right, that makes right. Sense. Which is why I have done a presentation for manufacturers. And to my great surprise, I've been asked to give this talk. I always thought I'd be thrown off the stage when giving this talk to manufacturers. And the title of the talk is Stop Talking About Your talking Product about First. Yourself. 
<laughs> no, stop talking about your product first. Yeah. And at some point I'll be thrown off the stage, but it's so typical of so many companies they want to talk about that. You know, that quote from Jill Radley also brought to mind another book that's been on the podcast recently, Sales Differentiation by Lee Sauls. And one of the recurring themes, particularly as it relates to insight selling, was your customers don't know how to buy your product. They don't. And it was, just, yeah. it was hand in glove with Jill Rowley's. But I just one other quote I just want to ask you about, and that's from Matt Gorniak. Yeah. from uh, Senior VP at Salesforce.com at the beginning of Chapter 6, which we keep talking about. He yeah. says uh, he believes the modern sales leader has, has to, to be, be a marketer. A marketer. Well, what the heck's he talking about? That comes back to uh, a couple points we mentioned earlier. First of all, the sales and marketings become more blurry, mm-hmm. right? So that's one. And uh, obviously, um, the, a lot of marketing tools and uh, can be used on the on the sales side. So that's one. Second thing, what I'm I think about, and this is also my own journey, if you will. So I, I worked at Intel for almost 20 years, and before that, I was in KPMG, Pimawick, and also Anderson Consulting, and which is now Accenture. And um, given that I work in a big enterprise for long, long, long period of time, I in in the big enterprise, you actually have a support uh, team. Right. I have an admin supporting me. I have a different uh, peers or marketing functions I work with and they do their jobs. I do my job. And I left Intel four years ago and started working for myself and uh, started as one person, one woman show and eventually build on top of that. And I learned so much. The things I learned so much is how to be a marketer. Is that funny? I was a marketer at uh, Intel, but now I learned to be a marketer. And how, what do I say when I try to pitch myself, right? And uh, how do I position myself on the digital front? And um, all that packaging, all that dressing up, okay, that sounds a little lame, but it's very important. It's very critical, right? So it's not what you say anymore. It's really how you say it and also and in what context. All that presents very, very important elements to it. And a lot of stuff that was tend to be done on the marketing side of things. Now, sales, sales, salespeople need to think about it. You know, they need to market themselves too. Mm-hmm. It's not really about their, uh, the, the products, their services. How they present themselves is also equally important. That's not something that was being uh, emphasized or being, um, uh, being explored in the past. You don't have to do that. But now you do, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. for example, the, all the salespeople, you need to be on social media as well, right? right. <laughs> and uh, uh, he's saying that, or you need to actually have the, if nothing else, if you don't do that, that's fine. Your LinkedIn profile needs to be pretty buttoned up, right? Yeah, Again, and I can see that having a, clearly having a role in, in, in sales enablement. And, it's, you know, I've talked to several authors of sales books, and we I, a couple times I've spoken to them about how, you know, marketing seems like it's catching up. And several of the sales book authors have said they think sales is even further behind in terms of catching up. And I think what you just mentioned is a perfect example. And it brings to mind a client of ours where we were getting them all set up and, uh, you know, new website and doing a lot of content for them. And I remember one of the salesmen said, does this mean I have to have a Twitter account? <laughs> I oh, said, yeah. And I said, well, you know, Paul, his real name, uh, you know, it depends on how much you want to know about your prospective customers and how much you want to sell to them. You tell yeah. me. There's an adjustment. People are afraid of change. So 
Pam, if readers took only one thing away from this book, what would mm-hmm. you hope it would be? So do I actually have three minutes to answer that or just one sentence? <laughs> I have I have unlimited audio tape. <laughs> well, let me do two sentences, if you will. Okay. Try to help yourself as a marketer and your salespeople connect the dots. You know, mm-hmm. um, really find ways to integrate marketing campaigns as a part of a sales component. It takes time and effort to do it. Um, but uh, unfortunately, there's no shortcut. Everything worthwhile takes time. So that would be one thing I want to just uh, get it out there. You know, just find a way to help yourself and your salespeople connect the dots. Yes, I think the word leadership comes to mind as well. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, the leaders, if you can uh, take the lead on that, then definitely your team members, your subordinates will follow the suit. So Pam... What books have inspired your work and career? And if you want to include finance and accounting books, that's fine. (laughs) I really will not do that, okay? Okay. I think that will um, turn all your listeners away, and they will literally just uh, hit the stop button at that minute. Well, don't worry about turning my listeners away. I'm sure I can do that all by myself. I like you, Douglas. <laughs> um, the one of the books that I have read two or three times or even more is Ogilvy in Advertising by oh, Dave. Oh, yes. It was written back in the early 80s. Yes. And uh, the wisdom, some of them are still uh, timeless. I mean, it just, it's still timeless. You and know, Pam, book- I just got to say, I like you too, because that is one of two books, the, one of the two books that have had the biggest impact on my career. Me too. I've it talked has about it in the huge- past. Huge impact on me. And uh, the couple quotes still makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, if it doesn't sell, it isn't creative. True. Amen. I'm into that. And the other one is, I do not regard advertising as entertainment or an art form, but as a medium of information. Oh, my God. Just like music to my ears. And uh, the consumer is a moron and she's your wife. I still don't think a lot of marketers have understood that. I think it really points to empathy. I've, I've worked with so many where the companies, agencies, marketers, where they, they really don't give a lot of thought to who these people are that are actually buying. I, I, cho- I, I totally agree. I, I, I um, sympathize with that. And the other book I really, really enjoy, and I have read several times, is Make It Stick by, by the Heath Brothers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got that right uh, here in the office. Yeah, me too. I love that book. And it, it actually a shape uh, in terms of how I uh, create messaging and also value propositions for myself and also for my clients. How do you make it simple, concrete, and credible? And um, it, it's, you know, it kind of resonates with me. And in terms of another uh, Ogilvy's quote, you know, what you say in advertising is more important than how you say it. So I love, I also like uh, Make It To Stick by the Heath Brothers. Mm-hmm. So like, the two books I really, really enjoy reading. Yes, and the Heath brothers are sort of like Daniel Pink or Ryan Holiday or, or any number of other authors where just, just buy whatever they're writing. I, I totally agree. I love Ryan Holiday's. I love Ryan Holiday's. I have um, uh, all his books. Oh, they're yeah. terrific. They're terrific. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Yeah, so I just finished uh, uh, Talk Triggers by Jay Bear. Oh, I love yes. 
I, I really liked it. Is um, uh, he emphasized uh, the importance of the word of mouth, and you should have a strategy around it. I totally agree. And she created. Uh, I'm sorry, he created a framework that was easy to follow. Um, I would check out the book if you are looking into build the word of mouth as a, a proper uh, marketing strategy. Yes, and- I should have added Jay Bear to that list of authors because every single book he writes, he doesn't write one every year, but when he yeah. does. It's, it it's phenomenal, and uh, he's been interviewed here about that book on the Marketing Book Podcast. Terrific. Very good. Another book I'm about to read is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Oh. Um, it's how to optimize your habits to deliver results. So I just ordered that book, and uh, I'll keep you posted. Okay, great. I'm writing that down because I was not familiar with it. And doggone it, now you just added it to my reading list. So, uh, <laughs> Yay! Pam, how best can listeners learn more about you and this uh, newest book? All right, pamdinner.com. Just go to my website and checks out the book. Uh, check out the book's page, and you can download a free chapter. You can download a chapter outlined. I also have a blog, a podcast, and the courses. And so, um, you know, check out some of the materials that I have shared, or simply just Google me and um, and you know. Ask me any questions. I like to take the challenges of answering listeners' questions, your marketing challenges, and then see what I can do. Well, terrific. So. And that's P-A-M-D-I-D-N-E-R.com. And we'll include links to that site and your LinkedIn profile and your Twitter handle and all the good things uh, on this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And for the listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you have subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on whatever your podcast player of choice is, like Apple Podcasts, all of these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. Pam Didner, I just have to pause here and say I feel like I've been on a soapbox for a long time now (laughs) urging marketing people to learn more about sales, which is why I've had so many sales books on the podcast. But this book, more than any other one, has supported my assertion that marketers need to think like salespeople, and they need to walk in their shoes Shoes. on a, a frequent basis. And if I'd just like to read one last excerpt from the book, from page 73. The best method to truly get feedback is simply to live in their shoes. Marketing can shadow a salesperson for a focused view into a day in the life of a rep to see firsthand how a rep engages with customers, where they find and manage their leads, how they communicate the product benefits and value, and how they handle tough objections. Marketers should shadow both highly skilled and more junior sales team members to see the tools each rep uses along the way. It gives marketers valuable insight into the reality of the business. While it may seem intrusive, if the sales reps understand the reasoning behind the shadowing and trust the motives behind this feedback collection process, they will be open to sharing even more pain points. The name of the book is Effective Sales Enablement, Achieve Sales Growth Through Collaborative Sales and Marketing. The author is Pam Didner. Pam, thank you very much for coming on the Marketing Book Podcast. My pleasure. It has been fun. Thank you so much, Douglas. And that closes the book on episode 205 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. 
Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome John Mowat to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Video Marketing Strategy, Harness the Power of Online Video to Drive Brand Growth. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Sean Armstrong.